I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. noticed that for the past few months there's been a new livewire podcast every week that's because we've doubled the number of shows every month and as you can imagine that costs that's right just about double the money so if you've enjoyed listening to all these new shows we'd really appreciate it if you visit livewireradio.org and consider clicking the donate button we can use any amount you can spare and your donation is tax deductible thanks so much for listening friends of oregon we needed a senator who was willing to stand up for Oregon and stand up to Oregon in these great economic times of sorrow. We needed an Oregonian to lead the way. I'm just a simple country doctor. We needed a senator who knew he couldn't raise enough money to get his commercials on the air on time, but was honest enough to still put them out, even though the race was long over. I'm looking forward to doing anything for the people. But I won't do that. <laughs> Meatloaf reference, classic. Well, it would have been real nice. It all just raced up on me and was over faster than that dangerous and unattractive high heel flip-flop fad. Senator Huck was the only candidate Huck enough to murk through the murky muck and the hulky lunk hunks of lamestream Washington. I would have. Who knows, dang. No other candidate has been willing to serve the people, even when service wasn't even possible. That's someone I can trust, even if I have no need for them in my life since they are ineligible. Ineligible? No. Intelligenable. A day late and a dollar long. That's my huck. I takes my time and I pay for it. I was scared that there wouldn't be someone there for me who wouldn't be there because he wasn't supposed to be there. Thank you, Senator Huck, for being ready to be there even though you were unaware of when you needed to be there. Dang. I got scared at night when Mommy and Daddy said there wouldn't be any more political commercials on the TV machine. Senator Huck fixed it. I wish he was my stepdad. I'll do anything for the people. I'll come do your dishes after the dishwasher has had a go at him. I'll kiss your baby boy on his 19th birthday. I'll wake you up to tuck you in for a nap. That's all in the timing. My timing is just not good. Senator Huck. Who gives a huck? Well, we do. Well, we did. Uh, 
long time ago. Paid for by citizens who need TV to go to sleep. I'm Senator Huck, and I approved this message long time ago. Long time ago. Dang. It's okay, Senator Huck. There's one place that'll take your political ad no problem. Really, kid? Sure. It's a place where they understand that procrastination's an art, and that too little too late is actually just enough. Well, what is it? It's... It's... so much for coming out. We have a great show for you tonight. We have the Nerd Kings, who consistently rank in the top 100 comedy podcasts on iTunes. Court Weber and Bobby Roberts of the Court and Fat Boy Show are here to talk geek culture tonight. And one of the best political satirists in the country is here with us. Will Durst is here tonight. And our music tonight will be the sweet, folky, poppy, Americana-esque sounds of Wineland. So that's going to be a good show. Before we get to all that, please meet the members of Faces for Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, the beautiful Trisha Ferguson, our stunning siren of sound, Pachanowski, and as usual, poet Scott Poole, author of Hiding from Salesman, will take one single hour, the amount of time it took Shakespeare to convince Christopher Marlowe to do all of his homework for him, to write a poem that encompasses everything that we've learned tonight. Welcome, Scott Poole. Get to writing. Can't do any of it without our amazing house band. Please welcome Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Before, we're going to be talking to Court Weber and Bobby Roberts about the rise in geek culture, definitely in our area, possibly in our country. In 1998, there was a Slate.com article entitled Nerd versus Nebbish, and in it, Franklin Four, Franklin, is there any question that Franklin is himself one of the nerds that he is writing about? Um, he claims that, quote, the popular understanding of nerdiness, that a nerd is an uncool person, doesn't stand the test of time. Witness nerd chic and the proliferation of 80s teen movies valorizing nerds, revenge of the nerds, weird science, and real genius. And we did have those movies in the 80s, along with The Breakfast Club, which painted a brat packy picture of most social groups in high school, at least largely white Chicago area high schools. Um, and the film asked us to not prejudge people based on their socioeconomic groups and interests, while at the same time accepting that we would anyway, regardless of the fact that we just watched the movie. Um, and then in the 90s, we had shows like My So-Called Life and Freaks and Geeks, where instead of trying to mirror the ideal family and protagonists like they did in the 50s, they just attempted to mirror what high school was like for most of us, which was what? Terrifying, awkward, confusing, 
a nightmare, right? <laughs> uh, which they didn't do in the 50s. It wasn't really a nightmare for the beaver. Um, but what I find interesting is that films and television shows like this have been happening for decades where bullies are vilified for the lunkheads that they are and the message that we're all scared, that we're all struggling, that no one's life is perfect. It's written over and over again in different ways, but it doesn't seem to make kids' lives any easier. Like when, when bullies see themselves on film, because bullies go to see these high school movies too, do they not see that they're villains? And geeks and nerds, are they not empowered by seeing versions of themselves coming out on top in the end? I suppose it gets into a discussion about whether pop culture simply mirrors our culture or has the power to change it, or maybe it's just that nothing will ever change the cultural dynamic of the pretty people versus the nerds. I realize that the It Gets Better campaign is, for a very good reason, focused on GLBT youths, but I think it's a message for, for geeks and nerds as well in high schools. I, I think one of the coolest things you learn as a grown-up is that if high school contains the best years of your life, you are so screwed. <laughs> and, it just, and it just gets worse, right? But if your high school years are the worst you're probably going to be one of the most interesting people at the party for the rest of your life. So lucky you, you know? But we'll talk about that later. Right now, let's move on to our amazing musical guest. Wineland's music has been described as music made of dirt and grass and an old Ford pickup bouncing down a dirt country road. Adam Shearer's stark vocals and melancholy lyrics have been compared to Nick Drake, Elliot Smith, and Iron and Wine. Earlier this year, the band opened for the Decemberists, and they were recently featured on NPR's All Songs Considered for their contribution to From the Land of Ice and Snow, the songs of Led Zeppelin. That record also features M. Ward, Laura Veers, and The Long Winters. Please welcome Wineland to Livewire.
very much. Welcome to the show, Adam. It's so great to have you guys. We hey, love having you. Thanks so much for having Wineland tonight. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to talk to you about something that you actually did this past summer. You participated in Uprising, which is a collaboration between Oregon Ballet Theater and local bands, which has happened... Is it two or three times so far? I, I think that our collaboration with OBT was the second okay. of the Uprising collaborations. The and first was with Horse, Horse Feathers. Feathers. And the one we did this uh, last July was Wineland, OBT, and Laura Gibson. Wow. It's beautiful, I'm sure. What was yeah. it like for you as a musician to see, to see choreographed works to your music? Um, really, it was amazing. I mean, mostly we saw the tail end of the choreographed work. <laughs> I see what you're saying, <laughs> Mr. Punny McNocknock. <laughs> no, it was, it was absolutely amazing. You know, the, uh, just, I don't know what it is exactly, but, you know, you write these songs and you play these shows and we play in all these clubs around the country and it's really fun and um, exciting and highs and lows and everything. And then you, you have a bunch of classically trained professional ballet dancers interpret your music and choreograph... 90 minutes of dance to your music based on the songs they chose and their, their interpretation of the lyrics yeah. and of, the, the, of the, the dramatic highs and lows of the music itself. And it's, it's, it was absolutely awesome. Did you see things that they had seen in your music, ways that they'd interpret it, that you hadn't seen prior to that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Absolutely. <laughs> And what they did was totally awesome. Uh, I, I didn't... Trying to put words to it, I have no idea. All I can say is that 
you know, when you're playing and, you know, the music kind of explodes, you know, from a minor to a major and the, and the drums kick in and they switch from the, from the hi-hat to the ride and everything opens up sonically. And then, you know, nine people bounce <laughs> four feet in the air and do these massive kicks of awesomeness. Yes, yeah, rad. <laughs> Which is a technical ballet term. That is. Yeah. I was like, hey, sweet jeté on the fifth beat of that major. <laughs> Let's do some plies next song. Very, very smooth, Adam. Um, well, I, I also later <laughs> on in the later on in the show, you're going to be talking about. You're going to be talking. You will be playing a song from this Led Zeppelin compilation, "The Land yes. from the Land of Ice and Snow." It's all Led Zeppelin songs, three records worth from yes. Dallas Busher Records. Yes. So, who put this record together, and why did they want to do it? And it was, it's a lot of Northwest artists. It is, yeah. Um, so many that it would be totally impossible to list them yeah. from memory. There, I think there's almost 70 artists on it. Um, this fella named Rob Jones runs a, a record label in Portland called Jealous Butcher. That pri- yeah, that primarily does vinyl. And he, he's done vinyl for lots of the really rad Portland bands like M. Ward and the Decemberists and, and tons of others. And he did the vinyl for Breaks in the Sun, too, our last record. And I think maybe it was like two and a half years ago, he said he wanted to do a Led Zeppelin tribute, and he asked if we would record a song. And we said yes, obviously, and we're excited about um, trying to get through that process. Recorded the song and never heard about it Hmm. for two years. And then all of a sudden, there was a release date and a plan, and everything sort of started happening, and... um, I don't know. It's just, it's totally awesome, but I had, I haven't even heard the whole CD yet. I just got it day before yesterday. It's a lot to listen it's to. It's going to take three hours. <laughs> exactly. But what was your experience growing up as a kid? Did you listen to Led Zeppelin? Were you a fan? Yeah, I was actually. Um, I grew up in a, in a house that still had a turntable. I grew up in Montana, and um, I actually, yeah, Montana. That was Tyler Hughes' wooing. I actually learned how to play guitar um, to Stairway to Heaven playing on my dad's gut string guitar. Nice. I, lit- I literally actually did learn that in the living room, and I, I plucked out those first notes, and uh, that was one of the things that actually got me excited about playing guitar. Past then, my, you know, no one can play Led Zeppelin, so then you don't learn any more after that when you're 15. Right. Until, like, four years later when I was 18 and we made this compilation. Or sing those Robert... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's also difficult to hit those Robert Plant notes. It is, the, yeah. And in our, our version of the song, too, we actually play it a half step higher wow. than Led Zeppelin played it because Rory, our bass player, uh, learned it in the wrong key. <laughs> it's, all, it's all Rory's fault. And two, and two years ago at the time that Wyndham was learning a Led Zeppelin song, it was kind of like, well, if there's no going back now. It's too hard to relearn it, so... <laughs> Everybody else just put a capo on, and we moved the whole thing up a half a step. Awesome. To prevent him from having to relearn it. So that's what we'll hear later? That's what you'll hear You'll later, hear some yeah. Led Zeppelin up a half a step. That's right. From Wineland. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you later on Thanks so show. much for having us. Adam Shearer of Wineland. That was Wineland, and you're listening to Live Wire Radio, the radio variety show created by people who are constantly distracted by shiny mental objects just like you are. Coming up, podcasters and nerd kings, Court and Fatboy, comedian Will Durst, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Livewire. Good evening, sinners. I am the dark angel himself. Lucifer, behold this, my unholy infomercial. <clears throat> Do you own a blender? Are you tired of using stupid, wasteful electricity to power it? Then try my new invention, the Soul Blend 666-247. It runs not on electricity, not on steam, but on actual human souls. <laughs> That's right. My new Soul Blend 666-247 doesn't need to be plugged in or turned on. It only needs a human sacrifice. Just pick somebody, sacrifice them real quick, and boom, it's a party. <laughs> Oh, yeah, wow, Susan, great party, and I love these margaritas. Why, thank you, Betty. <laughs> oh. Hey, hey, Susie, hey, great party. Look at me, everybody, I'm a cowboy. Yeah! Wow, Steve is wasted. He does not need another drink. Yeah, but we do. <laughs> another margarita, Betty. Please. Ooh, this is delicious. I might have one more. Drink up. Just don't get like Steve or I'll have to, you know. <laughs> Kill me and sacrifice me to your blender. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody has a Steve in their life. That's why this product is so sustainable. So many Steves. The Soul Blend 666-247 provides a way to significantly reduce the number of annoying Steves in your life and make delicious, healthy treats that are rich in protein and souls. <laughs> So buy your Soul Blend 666-247 today. To order, just go to your nearest goat farm or law office with a robe and an axe and follow your heart. Your black, black heart. No CODs. I asked our next guest to send me their bios, and this is what I received. Court and Fatboy are best known for being fired. Really, really fired. No longer fit for terrestrial radio, they took their show to the internet where they can be heard daily on Cascadia FM. This is mostly true, but it leaves out the part where they had a hugely popular show on a corporate radio station for years, and that when they did take it to the web, their show almost immediately became one of the top 100 comedy podcasts on iTunes. Their show features all things nerd, tech news, video games, comic books, and movies, which has turned them into what they call the Starbuck and Apollo of the geek community. Here to talk about the rise in geek culture, please welcome Court and Fatboy to Livewire. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Bobby Roberts. Hello. Um, just so, so everyone knows, I'm, I, I know you guys because I'm on your show on Wednesdays. I'm one of your commentators. Awkward. I'm the only girl that they have come on the show. Mm-hmm. Woman. True. Pers- a woman with a Y. We figured if we had to get a girl, we had to get the best. <laughs> well played. Oh, see, look at that. <laughs> well played, Roberts. The crowd already, are we? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We so, need all the help we can get. We've been introduced as the nerd kings, man. We just... <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about how you, you see yourself as the poster boys of, of nerddom. How did this happen to you? How did you become the nerd 
Because we are. <laughs> I mean, it's, it just happened. It just it, there, there was no trying. It just happened. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. To me, it was just sort of like uh, I, I met this dude, and uh, I started talking about uh, the variety of pop culture things that I normally talk about because that's what about 80% of my brain is filled with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in the course of any conversation, what's going to fall out of my head are like, you know, 13 different movie quotes and something I read in a comic book two weeks ago. And he actually understood half of what I was saying. So I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and then from there it was a matter of well you know let's just keep talking about yeah. it. There's tons of of geek focused events in Portland at any given mm-hmm. time. There's zombie proms, mm-hmm. geek trivia nights, live Star Trek episodes in the park. Yeah. Um, you guys recently judged a mustache and beard contest we at did. Portland's Pirate Festival. That's true. Yeah. I mean, do you do you think that part of the reason is is this a national trend? Do you think is Portland just a geek mecca or gecka? We, it is a gecka. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, no, yeah. We are we are uh, kind of the Motown of geek. I think uh, mm-hmm. we, it, it's kind of radiating out from from Portland. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't explain why. I guess it's you know it, it's. The, it's jo- just the joke here. The joke we normally tell is that um, Portland was built on a unicorn burial ground. Yeah. And and that's sort of why there's this sort of strange wispy magic in the air that that. Uh, that, that sort of leads to all of us being uh, bearded, scarved, uh, cardiganed, uh, wonderfolk. I've seen you all. You're, you're yeah, out there. Yeah. I saw you in the crowd. I've got like five doppelgangers in the audience right now, and I'm afraid to touch any of you because then a singularity will occur. Yeah. And then we won't get to hear Scott's poem at the end. There's a whole lot of cardigan in the house tonight. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Well, I read an article in the Utney Reader a few years ago that, that said that nerds are the new alpha male because mm-hmm. according to the Dar- Darwinian model, heterosexual mm-hmm. women are looking for the strongest males who are going to survive. And, of course, back in the olden times, it was the strongest, the physically strongest, and now it's smart. It's right. whoever's the smartest is going to survive. What are your thoughts on this theory, and how has it manifested itself in your own personal experience? I would, I would agree with it. I, I think uh, if you look at... Like in the 80s, the alpha male was Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sly Stallone. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 2000s, it's it's Bill Gates. Uh, I mean that that's kind of it, it's kind of it's evolved to if you want to make money, you have to have a brain. It's no longer about you can take roids and get big. Anybody can do that. Yeah. Uh, but if if you you need to have a brain in order to make the money. Yeah. It, you know. Uh, you know. Shrinking your testicles and popping back zits all day isn't getting you paid. So good job with the roids. Uh, <laughs> You know, if, if you're thinking about, like, a, an app for Android or something that you can sell for a buck ninety nine a pop is going to get money rolling in, that is probably a little more attractive uh, to a, a prospective mate, male or female, because yeah. uh, nobody wants to live on ramen for the rest of their life. Right. Sure. Like, you don't want to be eating, you know, a, a bowl of the shrimp flavor and looking at your boyfriend doing push-ups all day and money ain't rolling in. Hey, the shrimp flavor ain't bad. I as well. <laughs> <laughs> right, so it's the, the millionaires that are more attractive. Well, but, but, I mean, don't you also think that it has to do with being smart, that smart is attractive smart is now attractive. more than it used to be? Sure. Okay, uh, let me ask this. Uh, how many geeks are in the room tonight? Ah, okay, now imagine if I asked that same question in high school. It would be dead silent because right. nobody would want to admit to being a geek. Uh, it's, it's just become more accepted in, in the culture. So, right. you know, I, I think uh, that, that's a symptom of, of where we're at today. Well, and it, it does feel like in the past few years with, you know, right now it's shows like Glee and Big Bang Theory that really make geeks, that, that uh, glorify geekdom. Yeah. Well, look at the, look at the movie lineup for uh, 2011. If you go home and, and, and Google it, you'll see Thor, 
You'll see uh, Captain America. You'll, you'll see the, the second Harry Potter movie. Yeah, I was about to say, how many of you wearing scarves wore those same scarves to uh, Harry Potter last night? Like, <laughs> probably a fair amount of you. Harry Potter's making God knows how much money. Batman was like the highest, uh, the, the highest grossing film of 2009. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to even make a delineation between like, you know, geek culture and regular culture because when it gets down to it, like... You know, the people who are going to watch movies like, I'm going to go see Transformers, bro, high five. It's, it's still Transformers. It's yeah. still alien robot trucks that transform into, into <laughs> you know, robots that punch each other in the face. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a profoundly geeky concept. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you got people, you know, pounding Red Bull and crushing the can on their head, but they're going in to watch a nerd property. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, the, the culture in America is, is sort of geek culture in and of itself because we're the ones writing it. And yeah. we're the ones True. making it. And we're the ones selling it. And even if you try to be snobby about it, you're the one buying it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So we have no choice but to be in control. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Sounds like a manifesto. Oh, well, that's oh it I is. Just, we're kinda... taking over right now. <laughs> yeah. Just made it up on the spot. Right. Well, do you, think that, do you think that down the road it's going to change? It's going to change things for, I talked about this at the, at the opening of the show. Like, mm-hmm. is it going to change things for, ner- for nerd kids in the future? I, no. honestly th- I honestly think if it changes... The only way it's going to change things is if the nerd kids learn to let go. I think um, a lot of what's happened with uh, the, the pop culture is that we've had that same story, like you talked about in the opening, uh, reinforced over and over again, where we watch the bully, and then we watch the nerd rise up and, and, and put the bully down. The bully goes, oh, shucks, and the nerd's like, yeah, I got girls. Uh, but that sort of gets reinforced over and over again, and I think what happens is the nerds see that... Uh, people are coming in and swooping in on their culture and and cherry-picking and assimilating and doing those sorts of things, and they get really protective, and they don't want to let it go. So they they end up boxing themselves in instead of letting their their nerdiness get assimilated and making the world a better place because then we're putting a premium on brains and and creativity and that sort of thing. So I think if there's still going to be a divide, honestly, it's going to be the nerd's fault because we can't get rid of that chip on our shoulder. And right. I, it's, it's by its nature exclusionary. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd also say that it's, not, it's never going to change in high school or, or grade school. It, the, if you're a nerd in grade school or high school, you will always be a, gr- a nerd in grade school or high school. There was, a, there was a story a couple weeks ago about this little girl who was so excited because she had a Star Wars thermos that she was going to take to school, and she was so happy. And all the other boys at school started making fun of her because Star Wars is for boys. And then she she got so ashamed that she had to go out and get a pink thermos. And so, I mean, all those kids are going to kick themselves when they turn 20 because they're like, oh, we had a nerd girl. Oh, she was so cute. Uh, (laughs) What's what's funny is they're kicking themselves now because, um, and and this is where, once again, nerd power rises. Uh, That story hit the internet within like a half hour. And uh, basically every single faction of the internet was like, well, we're just going to get her all the Star Wars stuff we can. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they go ahead and pick on her. And now all the stuff that they want wanted is going straight to her mm-hmm. and if she's smart she's gonna be like <laughs> and just piling it around just a, just a pyramid of star wars stuff yeah. she can For wear it t- as a suit no she, she, as she, a transformer she, suit fashion a throne out of it and just gaze upon those below her yeah. stupid enough to have mocked her in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I have hopes for the future. Um, Do you? I, I don't know about you. <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> Not really, but I'm pretending to. I don't want to harsh anyone to mellow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, may, maybe so- sometime you can come back when, if things change, we can kind of check in with you guys. Oh, when, when, uh, the when, the, when the jocks take over again and we're going to be all sad <laughs> and depressed. Then, yeah. Have us back then. Great. Thanks, yeah. Courtney. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Thanks for joining us and illuminating us about geek culture. Oh, thank you. Uh, Bobby Roberts, Court Weber, Court and Fatboy on Cascadia FM. Thanks, you guys. (laughs) 
to Livewire with music, conversation, and comedy. We're like a great date, but without the constant distraction of wondering if you're going to make out. With Livewire, it's not even a question. Our show puts out. <laughs> Just does. If you live in the Portland area, come to our annual holiday show on December 18th at the Alberta Rose Theater with musical guests Tao from the Get Down, Stay Down, Master Drummer Oboe Addy, and so much holiday joy. For more information, visit our website at livewireradio.org. Last week, Jessica Alba was interviewed by Elle magazine. In the piece, Alba was quoted as saying this. Good actors never use the script unless it's amazing writing. All the good actors I've worked with, they all say whatever they want to say. Yes, she really did say that. Out loud. To a writer who printed it in a magazine. Wow. Anyways, as you can imagine, this brought the young Ms. Alba quite a bit of flack from the entertainment industry. Here now to defend herself, Jessica Alba. Ladies and gentle boys of America, I am Jessica Alba. Last time it was Thursday, I said that good acting people don't use the word papers, and I'm still happiness that I didn't not say that. Man folk on the typewriter TV box received a lot of upsetation, but my brain tells me. <laughs> what? What? Oh, nothing. What the humanities need is for the... Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, word writers. Please help me. I don't know how to speaking. I need your letter strings. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Wow, uh, her head exploded. Jessica Alba's head <laughs> just exploded. Huh. This sketch brought to you by the Writers Guild of America. <laughs> the Writers Guild of America removing feet from the mouths of actors and replacing them with words since 1807. The New York Times called our next guest the best political satirist in the country. He is a stand-up comic, a nationally syndicated columnist, a regular commentator for CNN and NPR, and he has been nominated for five Emmys. His last book was The All-American Sport of Bipartisan Bashing, and he's working on a new one that's coming out this spring, Where the Rogue Things Go. Please welcome Will Durst to Livewire. <laughs> Hey guys, how you doing? Man, I love this town. I love Portland. There's something. Uh, it's so damn charming. It is. Uh, no, it is. It's not even a town. It's more like a shire. <laughs> Plot of Middle Earth perched precariously on the precipice of precious and fanciful, where whimsy has a timeshare. 
Uh, I'm a political comic, and uh, let me. Uh, the hardest part is not coming up with the new stuff. You know that uh, the new stuff. I mean, you just look around, and you know, poor Obama. You know, everybody else got a good disaster, and what does he get? He gets to go down to the Gulf and look at the largest pile of toxic sludge that hit American shores since Ann Coulter's latest book. So. Uh, <laughs> The hard part is getting rid of the old stuff, you know, and like uh, Reagan and, and Quayle and Clinton, and, but George W. Bush. I mean, for eight wonderful years, he was like a father to me. <laughs> I was one little cog at his No Comic Left Behind program. And, <laughs> and he's back! He's back! He's, he's on a double-barreled media blitz. He, he actually broke ground the other day. I'm not making this up. He broke ground on the George W. Bush Presidential Library. Let me repeat that. The George W. Bush... You can't make stuff up like this. That's like saying vegetarian butcher. Kosher pork tartare. Democratic Leadership Council. Republican Ethics Committee. Larry King Live. <laughs> Not just... He, he also, and $200 million for the... Sounds like a lot of money to spend on a shelf. But he, he, the good thing... <laughs> he does have a book now to put in there because he just came out with this autobiography as told to George W. Bush by Dick Cheney. And did you see... Did you see that Cheney had a sixth heart attack and the man lives? He's so evil, hell keeps spitting him back. No, no, we, uh, we don't want... You keep him. Yeah, we're, we're full. A lot of construction going on down here. I tell you what it is, my wife's parents are in for the weekend. And I'm, I'm sure I'm asking the same question that you are. How does a guy without a heart have six heart attacks? It would be like John Edwards contracting a brain tumor. It just does, it doesn't make any sense. Whoa, wrong crowd, okay. Uh, the book, of course, is called Decision Points. Crayon sold separately. And you know, he definitely wanted to call it Decisions Decided by the Deciding Decider. But they decided not to. And neither is it called I Can Has Presidency. You know, which I was hoping for. Keep wondering if Amazon's going to bundle it with my pet goat. <laughs> you know, booksellers are having problems keeping it on the shelves. I'm not making this up either. Uh, people are moving it from the nonfiction section to the true crime section. <laughs> Swear to God. Except in New Orleans where it goes under horror. And he talks in it, he talks about how happy he is to be out of Washington. And with all due respect, sir, may I say that makes 310 million of us. <laughs> yeah, I lofted that one right in your wheelhouse, didn't <laughs> The problem with Bush was uh, there was no in between. People either loved him or hated him. And the people who hated him hated him with a fire that was fueled from below. My wife. Uh, is non-political, and I, I, I would watch the national news every day, and I still do, so you don't have to, and you owe me money. 
not for the news, it's for the ads, because apparently the only other people watching the national news besides me are really old and sick. <laughs> so all the ads are for Flomax and Prevacid and Lipitor and Seattle, people with clogged pipes or leaky pipes or pipes that need extending. It's some, really, it's some sort of plumbing outreach program. And, I mean, the ads have to be twice as long because they're required by law to include all the bad stuff that can happen to you. And, and then they tell you, but they don't want to bum you out so they're perky. Side effects may include, but are not limited to, headache, nausea, flatulence, dizziness, dizzy flatulence, weight loss, weight gain, hives, chives, weird rashes on the inner thighs, involuntary muscle spasms, cement-like bowel obstructions, anthrax, dysentery, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, flesh-eating bacteria, explosive diarrhea, chlamydia, Anal leakage, leprosy, glock elbow, nickel dick phobia, cat scratch fever, river of slobber syndrome, Ebola, elephantiasis, cholera light, brain cloud, partial total paralysis, total partial paralysis, total total paralysis, death like coma, near death, death, taxes, salmonella, and fatigue. And they put it in the middle because. They can't put it at the end because no one would buy this stuff and they have to have time for the purple butterfly to turn the frowny blob into a smiley blob. <laughs> so I would be watching uh, the national news and for eight years my wife would come into the living room, see Bush on the TV, and she'd do this. Ah! <laughs> it was cute for four. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Welcome to Livewire, Will. Oh, man, are you kidding? This is, uh, because, uh, you know, my stuff is not that restrictive. It's comedy for people who read or know someone who does, so. <laughs> this is my target demographic. It is. It does appear to be. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, <laughs> this line that seems to be disappearing between political commentary and satire. Rachel Maddow and Jon Stewart just had a very long conversation on her show where she told him, I think we're doing the same thing. She's a political commentator. He's a satirist. He didn't believe that. They, they disagreed on that. What do you think it says about our culture where it's really hard to tell the difference between a comic <laughs> and a political satirist? Yeah, well, it's hard to parody a parody. I mean, how do you take out the teabaggers? You know, I mean, uh, it is... And I know we're not supposed to use that word. It's right. pejorative, yeah. Like, it's my fault you named your nascent political movement after a euphemism for gargling testicles. Yeah, suddenly that's my... Yeah. It's not your fault. Not. It's, uh, but it's, you know, I mean, they're screaming. You saw the guy uh, who had the sign during the health care riots that said, stop socializing America and hands off my Medicare. <laughs> you wonder why he's so against public health care. He's obviously been betrayed by the public education system. <laughs> Well, we actually recently had Congressman Earl Blumenauer on the show, mm. and he seemed very positive, um, not concerned at all about gridlock because the House and the Senate have been split. Do you feel as optimistic as he does? I think it might help Obama uh, because he's kind of a facilitator. You know, he's never been 
the radical, in, in his book, he talks about how he never wanted to be you know, referred to or categorized as the angry black guy. So it's hard being a moderate, though, you know? I mean, and that's what he is. And the, 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 it's so polarized. The discussion is polarized. And granted, as John Stewart, you guys saw the rally, you know, I mean, he was, he was trying to explain what a moderate position is. You know, unfortunately, it's just not provocative, you know? right. We think this issue deserves more study. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, it, yeah, it, it doesn't ring, it doesn't no. rhyme with anything. No, certainly. everybody puts their pitchforks down and the torches go out. Mm-hmm. Well, it is so incredibly divisive right now, and everyone knows that humor is wonderful at diffusing conflict. And I just wonder, there's, there's, it seems to me that there's no place less funny than Congress. Um, every, if you ever watch C-SPAN and you watch them try to make a joke, it's just horrifying to watch and awkward. But I just wonder, do, do you think that it would help to have comics go in there and <laughs> teach them to try to be funny or use humor to... And one of the problems is they all take themselves so seriously. They right. actually, be, you know, some of them believe this stuff. Not Glenn Beck and the, the clowns on the, on the right. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't believe it. They're just using it for ratings and money. I actually read an article about Al Franken, and when he initially went into office, he really tried not to be funny, and he put a bunch of people off. They were actually a little annoyed that he wasn't being funny, so he had to kind of ease back into being well, a funny guy. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's hard when you're a professional clown, and, and you're hanging out with all these amateurs. You know, he didn't want to show them up. They had seniority on him. They were going to decide what office he got, so he, you know, he just hid in the weeds for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, just uh, can you give us a little uh, hint as to what the book is going to be about? The, the uh, where the road things go. Yes, it's uh, you guys know the Marie Sendak book, where the wild things are, mm-hmm. and it, it follows uh, Sarah Palin on her little trip, you know, from from uh, when she was a sports princess in Anchorage, and then she, you know, she got. So we have. It, we have illustrations, and it starts out McCain, Palin, and at the end it says Palin, McCain, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all the ads. It's, it's, it's funny. It really is. So, so it's I, sort of like a children's book. And yeah, illustrated. it is. It's, Great. it's kind of a pimp on, uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want my child to read a book about Sarah Palin. <laughs> oh, I love Not that Sarah I would Palin. ever Every have one. Every two weeks she erupts, man. There's something. She, she's like Republican herpes, you know. <laughs> But, but I mean that in a good way. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks for being here, Will. Uh, it was a total pleasure. <laughs> we loved having you again. Thank you so much. Will Durst, everybody. That was Will Durst, and you're listening to Live Wire Radio, the radio variety show that's like a box of entertainment candy, but not that stale box of creams from your grandma that's been on your refrigerator for months because you think at some point you'll have a chocolate emergency and you'll eat one of the 20 pieces that you already bit into and spit out the last time that you were desperate. Not that. We're like the nut and caramel variety box where everything you bite into doesn't suck. (laughs) And now you know what time it is. It's time for the... Audience haiku, people! 
We have asked our audience to expound on three subjects in the form of haiku, nerds, politics, and the Prince of Darkness. Faces for Radio Theater have chosen their favorites and will now read them with the help of Ralph Huntley. Tonight's haiku is, as always, brought to you by the New Belgium Brewing Company, this month featuring their winter ale, Two Below. Two Below Winter Ale, pushed to a nearly freezing state, it has a bright, hoppy afterglow, like winter bunnies after a night of sweet, sweet lovemaking. <laughs> Thanks, New Belgium. And now, audience haiku. All right, Ralph, I have one. Can I get some musical accompaniment, something uh, futuristic, maybe dystopian? Futuristic. Robot Army done. Satan lined up as VP. Bill Gates 2012. Thank you. That was James. You can blame James for that one. Um, can I get something royal, royalty-ish, uh, if you got it? Prince Harry as Hitler? Poor Halloween costume choice. But his bro? Pol Pot. Ouch. <laughs> Thank you, Ogden. A Pol Pot joke? Pol Pot joke, coming back. And now, ladies and gentlemen, from the audience to read a haiku, Maureen. Political. <laughs> New Gov is old Gov. Dudley did not do it right. Free throw fails, thank God. Thank you, Maureen. Thanks, Maureen. Good job, audience, on the audience haiku. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the stage with a song from The Land of Ice and Snow, The Songs of Led Zeppelin, Wineland. She looks so fine She's the only one that I've been dreaming of Maybe someday she will be all mine I need to tell her that I love her so And thrill her with my every touch I need to tell her she's the only one I really love I got a woman who wants a ball day Church, see the Norfolk standing in line. They say they come to pray to the Lord with my little girl, she looks so fine. And in the evening, when the sun is sinking low, everybody's with the one they love. I walk the town, keep a searching all around, looking for my street corner girl. Well, I got a 
promise the man who has been working in the audience as we've been laughing and clapping and drinking beer please welcome Scott Poole to the stage what I learned tonight by Scott Poole I learned tonight that I want to be in Led Zeppelin. Well, maybe it's too late for that. But I can't help it. When I'm just walking down the street, I feel like I'm in Led Zeppelin. Sure, I have a stroller and I'm eating a corn dog. But I really feel that I got a whole lot of love. You know, I got a little woman who won't be true. I got a little woman and she just won't be true. Well, actually, my woman is quite true. But sometimes I pretend she's not true just to feel better because I'm a nerd and a software developer. And if woman not true, dim C a string equals girl not true, then C equals happy nerd. 
end if. Sometimes I imagine it really was a nightmare for the beaver, that he's the true victim in all this Americana trumpet blast. At moments like this, I imagine that I am the electric nerd. I'm not even sure what that means. Remember that Robert Redford movie, The Electric Cowboy, where he rode a horse and had lights on it and it was supposed to be tragic or something? Well, it would be something like that, but with a corn dog and a Zeppelin fantasy. It goes a little like a Wineland song. I'm just spinning in the laundry room with a string of Christmas lights wrapped around me and primordial children are crawling around on basalt stones like it's a unicorn burial ground. The sheets are wrapping around me and sometimes I just want to be important. I don't care. I'll take the sheets from the dirty floor of the laundry room and get naked and wrap them around me in that biblical way. Back when everyone was struggling forward with great import, they always seemed to be dragging a lot of laundry with them in epic but awkward ways as they strode forward that time when gods walked the earth. You can't blame them. It was early in history, and clothes were a relatively new invention. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. At this point, it wouldn't be bad or entirely inappropriate if nine ballet dancers joined me in my laundry room with massive kicks of awesomeness and sweet plies on the fifth beat of each measure. But wouldn't it be equally better if they were all dressed as Princess Leia and were good at political satire and they could mix U.S. political humor with Star Wars humor and ads for Cialis were mixed with ads for lightsabers, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. (laughs) And I don't care how popular you are. This is when life is just about perfect, dragging my corn dog and stroller up the stairway to heaven. Thank you. Our thanks to our guests tonight, Bobby Roberts and Court Weber, Will Durst and Wineland. The Mutton Shops were Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Leica, Fitch and Associates, the Falcon Art Community, and Willamette Week. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners such as you, fine people. Livewire is created and produced by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brunberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound, Jeff Simmons. The Faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, performer Trisha Ferguson, and Siren of Sound, Pat Janowski. Our guest writers this month were Timmy Williams and Derek Brown. Livewire's house poet is Scott Poole. Production management by Drew Flynn. Stage management by Stephen Alexander. Theme by Courtney Montrelli and Ralph Huntley. Craft services by Whole Foods Market. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is Tyler Hughes giving credit where credit is due. I didn't write these credits. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many 
many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no. Sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us. And uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show. And then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review. And if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.